Shelton, your host. As you can see, we are going to jump right into this this week. I am joined by my good friend and amazing therapist, Rachel Bernstein. Hi, Rachel. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Chris. It is my pleasure to be here. I love being asked to discuss these issues with you. Thank you very much. And um, just because we are trying to make this a short and to the point and kind of rapid fire episode for, uh, for the subject matter that we're covering this week, uh, we're going to just get right to it and skip over all of the pleasantries that we usually get involved in. But I am going to say that Rachel is absolutely positively one of my most favorite guests. So I am very happy that we are getting the chance to do the show this week. Um, what we're going to cover really, like I said, kind of rapid fire this week is we are going to talk cult recovery 101. And this is the basics of what happens if you are right now listening to this show and you're on the fence or you have just stepped out or you are looking at getting out of a high control group or a destructive relationship or some situation of coercive control that you're involved in that you don't like, that you don't want to, you want to change it up. You want to do something different now. You want to like make that change. But what do you do? How do you go about this? What are the important things? Uh, Rachel has been, you know, exit counseling and helping people uh, with therapy for decades. I have been recovering myself for the last 10 years, and, and education has been part of that process for me. So I thought, you know, well, this might be something we might have something intelligent and useful to talk about with. So um, that being said, I think uh, jumping right into it, that the first thing that a person really needs to have set up or, or get set up or, or be worried about right away is a support system, right? You need something there so that you're, as I kind of think about it, your three basics are, are the first things that are covered or dealt with. And that happens to be your food, your shelter, and transportation. You got to have those three things in order to have you know, control of your own existence and, and mobility and all of that. So, um, so Rachel, do you want to start with that as to how one might go about obtaining or thinking about or looking at how do you create or get a, get a support system? Right. I, I really want to underscore the need for that, for people to take care of their basic needs, because if you jump right into just going for counseling, but you don't know where you're sleeping that night and you're hungry, literally hungry, not only hungry for life, really hungry. Um, then, then therapy is, is sort of part two. It's a luxury. Um, it's important, but it needs to come after your basic needs being met. It's why there are a lot of public schools now that will serve a hot breakfast or hot lunch for kids because they can't think, they can't study, they can't learn while being hungry, what not feeding their system and not having that security. Um, so I think that there is something important for people to know that there are foundations, there's the Aftermath Foundation, there are places to go. I wish there were more, honestly, um, but there are some and you just need to tap into it by connecting with other people going online, doing research about places that will provide you with things, making sure you also vet the organizations that they're not cultic kind of groups. Um, but that there are plenty of people too, who have been where you are now, and they want to offer their couch, they want to offer 
their food. They want to be able to see if there's someone they know who can hire you. Um, and I think for people to be open to that, that it's not that you're a loser. It's not that you're pathetic. It's not that you're being needy. It's not that you're not being strong um, or brave enough to handle it on your own. You know, part of the wisdom of living in this world is uh, knowing what your resources are and who your resources are. And so you don't ever have to go alone. And there are people who where it's their pleasure to want to be able to provide for you. So it's a win-win in a lot of these kinds of situations. People need to receive and people also want to give. Just finding the people is something that I know you'll probably talk more about or provide people with links, but there are people out there to help. Absolutely. And um, like, for example, I am going to link the Aftermath Foundation mm -hmm. as, a, as an example of the kind of thing we're talking about. That, of course, is the one I'm most familiar with being a former Scientologist. But I also want to highlight that even social media connections or contacts or groups exist out there for former members of almost any group you care to name, from Bill Gothard's, you know, Duggar's kind of Christian nonsense to XJWs, ex-Mormons, ex-Scientologists, ex-Moonies. I mean, they're, they're all represented out there in social media groups on Facebook and Twitter and things like that. So, um, so, you know, reach out, look, find, you know, set up some accounts, stuff like that, if you have access or the ability to do so. And even that can get you some connections. And believe me, if you make yourself known in one of these groups as somebody who has just gotten out, odds are there's going to be some helping hands for you. Right, exactly. And and to not hold back on doing that because you're worried about what it means about you. Uh, it doesn't mean anything about you that you're needing help. It means something about what you've been put through. And so if you can take it off of yourself and not have any shame involved and just say, sometimes people need more. There's like, you know, resources and life are like this pie chart. Sometimes we need a little more of the pie. And then also you can be in a situation maybe later on if that makes you feel better to give to be able to give back, which is something a lot of people do. Exactly, exactly. Now, on that point, there's often an awful lot like with Scientology, for example, you have direct teachings that say, you know, psychiatry bad, psychology bad, right? Anything not our group bad. And this is this is a characteristic of the whole problem is that, you know, that whole us versus them thing is set up so that there's distrust. There is uh, even mm -hmm. hostility towards groups or activities that could actually be helpful for you. And that that those teachings are purposeful. They are they are created to, you know, sort of isolate you and bind you to the group mm -hmm. that you're part of more so that you won't look to outside resources for any help or assistance. And there is, I understand, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this directly, you know, I get it that it's a little bit like a leap of faith to try to ask for help or put your hand out or try to see if somebody is willing to assist you. Um, I will say from my own experience uh, that my, my, every time I've done that, very, very, more often than not, my hand did not get bit. It was a good thing to do. It was, it was the right thing to do. I was amazed, in fact, overwhelmed from time to time at how much help was available to me as a, as a cult survivor or really just as a human being mm -hmm. uh, out here in the big wide world. There, it, there's a lot of 
of setup or indoctrination in these groups or in these relationships to try to make you feel like you're alone and no one cares about you and this and only your cult, only your leader, only your your you know spouse or whatever. That's the only person who cares about you and nobody else does and it's a good thing you have me or otherwise you wouldn't have anybody and and I really hope you will take the opportunity out there to to prove that wrong. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think also uh, for people to have the awareness that when you are first coming out of a group, I mean, you've probably been put through the ringer. I mean, you, you've probably asked some questions that didn't go over well, or you have stopped doing as much work, or you've left your family and friends. Um, you've been questioned or you've been kind of put through the system in a more intense way because they feel like you're doubting. So people sometimes leave even more bruised um, and they were kind of beaten up during the last bit of time that they were there. So all the more reason, I think, to know that you deserve to get help and support and that when you do push through the fear that's been given to you um, uh, about therapy, about pursuing therapy under the guise of it being for your protection, that they're protecting you from something, but all they're doing is making sure that you're dependent on them for it. Um, then you, I want people to know that if they pursue counseling, that everyone I've worked with who's been terrified of it has noticed that nothing bad has happened. Um, at, at the least, nothing bad has happened. And at the most, they've gotten the help that they were wanting and needing. And that's really been it. And that you can also leave at any time. You can take a break. If the therapist gets pissed off at you for taking your break, then that's not a good therapist. You have a choice. There isn't just one therapist in the world, thank goodness, to choose from. And also use the resources, connecting with other former members, finding out who they went to go talk to, who was helpful to them. Because not only are those people resources for what they can provide for you, but that they have vetted other people and they can say, this is a safe person to talk to. And they can offer you other names and numbers. Perfect. Exactly. Now, one other thing that in addition to, you know, the teachings or indoctrination that can sometimes get in the way, because there are so many psychological landmines, we could say, that sort of mm -hmm. get laid by predators or, you yeah. know, these, these kind of people who take advantage of others, cult leaders, that kind of thing. Um we're not necessarily always going to be the best version of ourselves when we get out of one of these situations or one of these groups. Mm -hmm. And, and there's this, um, there can often be a lot of self-directed or self-invalidating kind of statements or thoughts or ideas or feelings, even, even just feelings. Sometimes it's not even words. It's just this mm -hmm. dread Mm -hmm. Ugh! I suck. You know, I'm a right. horrible person. I'm incapable. I, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve help. You know, I've done bad things. Even a lot of this can rack around and bounce around in your mind, and and mm -hmm. and kind of you can get in your own way mm -hmm. an awful lot with a lot of that. How do you, Rachel, suggest that people, you know, just coming into an awareness of the fact that this is happening? How do they, how should they think about or deal with that? Right. It is happens a hundred percent of the time, actually. <laughs> that, me, I'll tell you that. Right. That I think because it's part of the system of, of a cult to make you doubt yourself, 
to make you feel like you can't really trust yourself without them because then if you do, you don't need them. So that's part of the structure. So know that that has, that has been instilled in you and it's been instilled in everyone who has been through these experiences. Same thing with being with a, an emotional manipulator or a narcissist who wants you to be bound to them in so many ways, then you somehow can't function on your own and you can't be trusted and you know, left to your own devices, you'll make mistakes or be stupid about things, et cetera. It's just not true. But what you wanna do is when you have this sort of automatic thought that comes into your head, start writing them down because it makes you aware that you're having them. And then you have a list of the things that, what we call negative interjects, this, these ideas that you've absorbed into your system as truths, because they've been repeated so often, but as we know, just because something has been repeated doesn't make it true. So it just gets under your skin. So if you go, let's say, to sign up for, to work somewhere, and you think they won't like me, I'm gonna be lazy, I'm gonna make a mistake, I'm not gonna be able to uh, make a good impression. Um, I'll make a fool of myself. All of that is something that you have been given by another group that has needed for you to believe that so that then you work harder to prove yourself and that they can keep you in line and they can keep a hold on you. So if you can make yourself aware when you were suddenly about to go in a certain direction and do something and you stopped yourself, and you did what we would call from the outside looking in self-sabotage and you didn't make the call and you didn't do the thing that you wanted to do or that you were hoping to do, try to understand what is stopping you. And the fact that the negative self-talk is the thing that's making you step on your own toes and it's keeping you from moving forward. So I think when you start writing down a list of all of the automatic thinking that you have that's in the negative or that makes you feel hopeless, makes you have self-doubt, then you don't have a vision of you. You have a vision of what they wanted you to believe about you because it worked for them. And if that can be sort of the heading of it, then you can start to kind of purge it from you. Big time, big time. That is really great advice. And you'll find over time, if you do keep a list like that, it will get long. <laughs> it will get long, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it will get long. And and it's hard to make yourself aware. You will you might just have a feeling like, oh, it's not gonna work out or, oh, no one will trust me or, ah, you know. And stop, when you have those thoughts or just that feeling, wonder why, what just went through your mind? Bingo, that's right. And let me build on that a little bit also with something um, that we talk about that is really important part of this, and it's and it's wrapped up in this, and that is what we call the thought stopping cliche, mm -hmm. right? Or the thought stopping phrase. It's this idea, any idea, any set of words that come together that get you to stop thinking. Right. This is these are these are purposeful. They are designed almost right in some ways. Um, it's perfectly natural and, and it just happens in these groups that these mm -hmm. develop, these ideas, mm -hmm. these mantras, these sayings, these little, you know, pithy things that you might end up telling yourself mm -hmm. that really shut down thinking rather than encourage it. Mm -hmm. um, in Scientology, examples of this are, you know, somebody gets sick or has an issue or a problem or something. Ah, oh, they're PTS. Just slap mm -hmm. a label on the person, right? Labels right. are all about this. 
Mm-hmm. It's, you know, oh, he's just PTS. Oh, you don't have to listen to that Scientology critic. He's just an SP, mm-hmm. a suppressive person, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's just N theta. That's another Scientology word for bad news or things you shouldn't be listening to. Mm-hmm. And, it, and you can take an entire body of information and just kind of throw it in the trash and go N theta. And that just shuts down conversation. It just stops the thinking, right? It gets you to to avoid or purposefully stay away from whole swaths of of knowledge that could help you, that could be of assistance to you. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's, it's important to develop a little internal sensor or awareness that these are there and that, that, that when they come up, if, if the idea or the product of, the, of it is, oh, I should stop thinking, I should stop looking, I should stop, you know, uh, examining this, there's probably a thought-stopping cliche there, right? And you want to mm-hmm. kind of de-weed your lawn of those things. You, know, you want to rip those things out, you know, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, they, they are like weeds. They don't help. They only, they only shut things down. They do. And they also shut emotion down. So when you have these thought terminating cliches or these, you know, these ways of looking at things that are automatic, it happens a lot. I hear it from people who are raised Jehovah's Witness or other kind of fundamentalist group where if someone gets sick, uh, well, that's, you know, God's punishment or that's the devil or that, you know, there, there isn't compassion. And when there isn't compassion that you've learned to have directed outward, you also don't direct it inward. It's just not part of that scene. And it should be, it should be that you can have some compassion for yourself, that you're going through something difficult and then you should be able to feel okay or deserving of support. But if you're just being as cold to yourself as you are to other people uh, and, and just slapping that label on, then the emotion is missing. And so if you can be gentler in the way you look at things, be gentler with the way you look at yourself. Yeah. Give yourself a break, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and yeah. then and you're going to think you're doing it, you know, you're not doing it enough or you're doing it too hard or whatever. There's so much. Here's the other thing too, is, um, you know, certainly in Scientology, we learned this concept or idea that there's only one right way to do a thing. Mm-hmm. This this concept of Hubbard's of of standard tech, standard technology. Mm-hmm. But really what it comes down to is there's Hubbard's way or the highway, right? It's like mm-hmm. it's our way or you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. And you're going to find in the big wide world that that, that isn't really how things work, right. like at all. Mm-hmm. There are two, three, four, a thousand things that you can do to get something done, a thousand paths you can follow. Mm-hmm. And... There isn't, and it's not a matter of trying to, you know, narrow your thinking into, well, I have to choose the best way or the right way or the, this, you know, this kind of enforced standards, I guess we could say, which is not to say that the world is just Mm -hmm. a big free for all. I mean, we have laws and rules and all that, but, but Mm -hmm. one of the real tricky, I mean, really insidious kind of things that cults do is is they mess with your sense of right and wrong and good and bad. And they do that to, again, bind your choices and limit your ability and your freedom to, to think and act. Mm-hmm. 
So the idea here is to is to blow those up, you know, kind of question everything you could say. How how do you advise people to to address that stuff? Mm. Right. You know, there are a lot of people who will delay, for example, getting work because they feel like they have to make the right decision. They have to make the right forever decision about where they're going to be working, what they're going to be doing, where they're going to be living, who they're going to be talking to. And things aren't um, so intense in that way in terms of the judgment that's going to be placed on you because you're not in a cultic system anymore. You can actually make a mistake and it's okay. You can change your mind and it's okay. You can choose something for now and then have it be a stepping stone to something else later. You don't have to be on this absolute trajectory um, where there is a right way and a wrong way. So I think offering yourself that idea that you're not going to be held to the same level of scrutiny when you are outside of a cult, but still you want to hold yourself up to a certain level of standards, as you're saying, but to know that part of what we learn in life um, that is really valuable and the means with which we learn it is trial and error. And so to be able to say, oh, I thought this would be a good idea. It turned out not to be. So I'm going to shift gears, but I'm not going to beat myself up. And I'm not going to say that I made a horrible mistake. I learned. I learned from this. And this is what I learned. And now I can make a better decision or a different decision. So a lot of people do feel um, very handicapped by how much making a decision and feeling like there's one right way delays their being able to move on with their life and getting the resources that they need. And also having the experiences that are confidence building. Yes. Because they're holding back because they're too afraid of making the wrong decision. Exactly. Exactly. The thing, I, I think the, the, you know, the, the, the moral of the story there is it, it is not only um, okay, it is expected mm-hmm. that you're going to make mistakes, mm-hmm. right? And it's okay. You just pull yourself back and okay, back up a few steps and let's try a different way, right? Let's mm-hmm. try a different approach. And, and, and realizing that, you know, that there are, that these set rules and these like paths that you must do it this way, you must do it that way. And, and it doesn't, I, you got, I could be talking about how you do your laundry or your food shopping. Yeah. I could be talking about how you relate with people. I could mm-hmm. be talking about how you do a job or a particular mm-hmm. function of your job, it, it, whatever, right? It's, it's right. kind of blowing those standards up and just, and just kind of you know, letting yourself go with a flow every now and again and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. It really is okay. And you'll find your way as you do this and, and, and make mistakes. And again, give yourself a break. It took me, I mean, I, you know, I really want to get across. I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to um, you know, help people not make this mistake of, of taking two years before I start, you know, practicing uh, just chilling on the couch. Right. <laughs> you don't have to work yeah. all the time. You know, it doesn't, yeah. it's okay. There's no race. There's no like, there's no big prize at the end of this whole thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're all going the same mm-hmm. place and, and, it, and really just kind of low, you know, lowering expectations a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, not lowering your standards, but, you know, but just kind of giving yourself a break is really what I'm mm-hmm. trying to talk about here. So, mm-hmm. so I think that's really, really super important. And, um, 
And then as far as uh, other, other tips here, I think a really, really important one is, and one that I don't see enough people do, is the education. Mm-hmm. How do you talk to people about what should they learn about in coming out of these destructive situations? You know, we, we, we give these tidbits and advices, but, you know, there really isn't any substitute for going out and learning on your own what happened to you, why it happened to you, how you were vulnerable to it, and how to prevent it from happening to you again. Right, exactly. So I, I think a couple things. Just because someone is out of a cult doesn't mean it's out of them. And so they can look fine. They can be out of their Sea Org uniforms and wearing Grateful Dead t-shirt, whatever. And you think that they're okay, but they're not because they haven't detoxed from the programming. So they need to know what happened to them. So they have words to use to understand it. They can also then shorten their explanation for other people because sometimes people say, I don't know how to explain this to me because I'm going to go on for days just trying to figure something out. And it's like on your show where you can say thought terminating cliche, ah, that just saved me five paragraphs, (laughs) right? Like I got, okay, that helps. Um, And then people understand that there were all of these psychological techniques that were used in what I often call a well-oiled machine of manipulation. And so you just got caught in the machine. So what happened? What were the gears and what were the switches? And how come you just came out the other end feeling different, looking different, looking differently at yourself to end the world? And how do you undo that? So I think finding out about how a cult operates and the systems of, and the methodology, the manipulation, learning about the techniques of influence, Cialdini's influence, model that's a business model, but it applies even in religious cults. Um, And see that you were also put through something that at different times can work for for and on anyone. So it doesn't mean there's something different about you um, because a lot of people still do leave thinking they were gullible or they, you know, they, they shouldn't have succumbed to this, but yeah, we all do. And I have, I think I've used this example with you in the past with people who have talked to me about, you know, they would never get involved in a cult. Sometimes people like to give you their opinion about it. And you, did you ask? Um, but, um, but that's just because they're feeling kind of threatened and they need to prove something about themselves. And then I'll say, well, tell me why you're wearing the clothes that you're wearing. And what they don't realize is how much manipulation was used to get them into those pants that look terrible on them, but they think look great because they're hot and they're okay. So everyone succumbs to this because it's how the brain works. We're influenceable because we're social creatures and that's for our survival, but it can be used and abused. So learning about what happened to you is really important. And so you can also take it off of yourself and not be so angry with yourself. Um, what's also though, I think important that um, I think it, it pays to mention it, I think, is that when you're, when you're starting to get some clarity about what you went through, you wanna be able to do two things. You wanna be able to have more exposure to other people who have been through similar experiences. So you can learn from them about what's been helpful to them, 
You can learn from them about what they've been through too. So again, you don't feel alone and you want to limit the group's exposure to you. You want to limit your abusers and your controllers exposure to you. So if you can make sure that the people whose voices you hear are the ones who are supportive, the ones who understand, the ones who want to understand, the ones who have information to share, not the ones who are threatened by you leaving and need to pull you back in because they will confuse you. They still have times. And even just hearing their voices uh, can, can bring you sometimes back into that way of kind of like, like being in a trance. So sometimes people will change their phone number, change their email address, or just not answer the phone and make sure that they're being smart about who they're talking to and who they're letting um, have access to them and who they're inputting information from. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, well, these were, I mean, this is a rapid, I said, this is going to be a rapid fire episode, right? So we, we bang through some things here. I will, I will throw out without elaboration that um, one other thing occurred to me is, is dump the language. Right. Whatever the nice. specialized language, yes. right. just dump it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Do your best to talk and think, not using the terminology of the cult, whatever that terminology is. It will help restructure, literally restructure your brain faster. It's great. Yeah. And to tell people that sometimes that will mean that they'll need to say, what's another word for this? Yep. That's right. Because if you don't have another word, you keep using the word that you knew. And so to, to expand your lexicon and to know the, the way that sort of in the general population that's talked about, that does help you feel um, unified or reunified to the world outside. Really great point. Yes, big time. Thank you. All right. So we're going to wrap up the show this week uh, on that note. Uh, I think we covered uh, basically the the key important parts of where our attention goes in trying to help somebody through the process of reacclimating to the bigger culture or world that they have not really been fully or wholly part of because they mm-hmm. were isolated and manipulated into this sort of you know, situation where they had to live in a bit of a bubble world. And mm-hmm. so we want to, you know, help with that process of re- reculturating. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. That's a good I mean, one. that's the word. It really mm-hmm. is what you're doing, you know, yeah. um, but that's, that's the process and, you know, mm-hmm. anything and everything you can do. And really, you know, the best analogy or comparison for coming out of a cult that I've been able to come up with is it's like you move to another country. When you get out of a cult, like the language is different. The customs are different. The rules are different. And yet you're in the same world you've been in this whole time, but things are a little different and you got to kind of get your way around and learn all the things. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of what we're talking about here. So, yeah. Yeah. And that you'll get there. You'll get there. And everyone does it at at a different rate. So don't worry if you're not as far ahead um, than somebody else. Don't compare. Right. Uh, just know that if you keep going, you'll get there. Exactly. Cult, cult recovery is a marathon. It is not mm-hmm. a sprint. It's not something mm-hmm. you race through. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually kind of impossible to. Right. Exactly you know, right. It yeah. takes time. It takes time. Right. And you might think you're okay. And then suddenly something triggers you that you weren't expecting. And But see that as an opportunity. Like, That's oh, right. I didn't realize that was still there inside of me as 
this button uh, that could get pushed. It hadn't gotten pushed yet. Now I realize I need to address that. So even down the road, years later, if you're still getting triggered, it doesn't mean that you're regressing. It doesn't mean that you haven't healed enough. It just means like, oh, there are these sort of leftover bits I still need to address. Exactly. Perfect. All right, Rachel, thank you very much for joining me for this. I really, really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. And thank you for all that you do. And it's great to see you. And it's great to talk to you as always. Ah, you too. All right. And folks out there, I hope that this little rapid fire podcast this week was helpful, informative, educational, maybe mildly entertaining. We'll see. Uh, There we go. And of course, consider supporting the channel through Patreon, whatever. Show us some love. And I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.